You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Everyone, how's it going? It's Anthony Cazenza with the Orange Black Insider Bengals podcast, courtesy of SB Nation and CincyJungle.com. We are with you once again this week, even though we didn't have our, our usual post-game reactions. I apologize. That was my fault. We'll talk about why in just a second, but that was my fault. We usually have a post-game reactions. Didn't get to that this week, but we're happy to have you with us for our live weekly show. And I am happy to have with us uh, John Sheeran, my usual co-host. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Um, not not exactly recovering from the weekend that you had, as you told me, but I'm <laughs> I'm doing fine myself. How was that uh, that holiday party thing that you were? I, I meant to ask you that before we took the air. How was that? Um, What'd you get? What was your What was your poison? What'd you get? I got literal poison. I got a, a, a Seagram's like like freaking. What, 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 I, don't even, I don't even know what it actually is called. It's, it's like Seagram's like like sugar alcohol stuff, which is like an inside joke about an incident I had in spring break that I won't dive into because I might get into legal trouble because of it. But yeah, um, that, that, that was fun. I don't remember much of it, but um, I definitely had a sugar hangover because of it. Oof. <laughs> yeah, Seagram's. I remember, I remember the old Seagram's days. It's, uh, they're, I, I wish I could say they're fully behind me. They're not fully behind me, but they're, they're a little bit behind me. But uh, enjoy your, your Seagram's. Maybe we'll get them as a sponsor, sponsored by Seagram's, right? Yeah, Seagram's, uh, shout out. Yeah, there you go. There you go. We had Natty Light. I think you were talking about last week, and then we got we got Seagram uh, Seagrams this week. We're, we're I am not an alcoholic. All right, let's, 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 clear, the, let's clear the air about that. We're, we're going real classy on the on the podcast tonight. Uh, actually, and just so you know, John, um, this this is a really smooth segue here. Um, our other co-host uh, Scott Schulte actually—I uh, haven't heard from him for a little while. He he texted me tonight saying he couldn't make it tonight. He got sick, but he actually wanted to be on the show tonight. Uh, so we're we're hoping we get him uh, back pretty soon. Not really sure how that ties into what we were just talking about, but I guess I guess the co-host connection is, is where I tied that one in there. All right. Anyway. Uh, Welcome to the show once again, and there's going to be a lot to talk about. This is probably going to be a listener listener question heavy type of show because, number one, there's a lot to talk about in terms of the state of the team, but number two, I, in this show, has received a lot of voicemails, a lot of emails, uh, a lot of correspondence over the past week, and we want to get to those, and unfortunately, the correspondence that we've received have happened when we weren't on the air. So uh, they were kind of in between shows and everything. So we want to get to those and we will because they've presented 
we're, we're going to try and get to some more listener questions, the impromptu ones at the end of the show. But these these questions, I think, have brought up some pertinent topics that we want to talk about. So uh, thanks for the questions and thanks for the content, really, because it uh, helps, helps us out. We appreciate that. Um, I will start, I guess, John, we'll start with the, the game this weekend. Close one. Uh, for those, I mentioned I didn't get to do the post-game reactions that is usually on our thread. Unfortunately, I, I didn't get, well, fortunately and unfortunately, I didn't get to it because I was actually at the game in person. Um, first time I've actually seen a Chargers game at that specific stadium in LA. I've seen them a bunch of times in San Diego. Uh, a lot more fun than it has been the, the previous weeks, but the previous weeks supplied more big plays by the offense. This was kind of, I mean, I, I did an awards post, John, and it was like a uh, 20-yard catch by Tyler Boyd, a uh, one-yard touchdown run by Joe Mixon. And it was like, uh, um, so there weren't the big plays. There were a couple big plays on defense, sacks and whatnot, but a close game, exciting because it was close and the Bengals were in it at the end, but still kind of, I, I thought it was, I hate to say it's relatively boring. No, I think that's fair, but um, the expectations were obviously low because they were, what, 14-point underdogs? Yeah. It's almost like – it's one of those spreads where, like, I mean, if, if the Chargers possibly cover the spread, it, it'll just be an, an awful game for the sense. And I think maybe the Bengals kind of had that um, mindset going into the game, saying that we're, we're not going to lose by two touchdowns in front of a stadium that's not even 30,000 full. So I think there was kind of that factor into it as well. Um, but the Chargers are legitimately – one of the very best teams in the NFL. They're going to be the five seed in the playoffs only because the Chiefs are in their division. But if they're in like the AFC North or, or the AFC East, they you know they might finish the season with twelve or thirteen wins and be like a number two or number one seed. They're that good. So it was surprising how after the first two drives for the Chargers' offense, the Bengals managed to be relatively competitive even with the with the shape of the roster that it's in now. And I think part of that was was for a couple of changes that they had in their lineups. They didn't have Vontaze Burfick on defense and. For once, that unit started to look a bit cohesive. I thought the offensive line played particularly well when Christian Westerman was out there at left guard. And I also, th- I also thought that, you know, when Bill Lazor wasn't exactly handicapping Jeff Driscoll as a quarterback, you know, the offense had some flow with it. And for once, they finally listened to us and they just said, hey, you know, you know, in this specific offense and, you know, with, with this specific personnel they have, you might as well just give the ball to Joe Mixon 25 times a game and see what happens. And they, they kept it relatively close against a team that was severely outmatched them in every single way all because of that. And I think, you know, they just weren't going, going to win this game regardless, but I think they just did as well as they, as we could have expected them to do so. It's funny how that works, right? I mean, we, we see here, I, why isn't Mixon getting 30 touches a game? Why isn't he getting 20 or 25 carries a game? And, and, it's, it's very, especially out of the shotgun, he is really, really effective. Um, the offensive line seems to be blocking better out of those shotgun formations. Um, it just, it, they, they played well, and to be quite honest with you, you know, it was, it was an admirable performance based on how many... See, if the Bengals, to me, John, if they had been playing with that kind of effort with that kind of performance these past few weeks with the guys on the sideline, you'd feel a bit better about this team overall and where they're at than what they've shown, right? I mean, their effort level didn't seem to be there against the Browns and and other games like that. Uh, 
the, the Broncos game was just pretty deplorable and errors galore on that, uh, on that performance. In this game, they, they played pretty clean. There were some dumb, dumb, dumb penalties by some very usual suspects. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think, and we'll get to this topic in a little bit, but I, I think you kind of, they're on the road, right? Like you said, one of the best teams in the NFL. You got to feel at least kind of uplifted a little bit based on what you saw and some of these young guys coming in and playing pretty well. You saw William Jackson have probably his best game of the season, I thought. Um, and I believe it was you who mentioned that, uh, you know, he's, he's playing well. It could have been someone else. I can't remember specifically, but they have him in playing more man coverage, what he's, what he's best at. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden he's, He's playing a bit better than what he's been doing, and so they're just—it just seems like they finally made some adjustments. They, the effort level was finally there, but it was like too little, too late. Yeah, and in the past past weeks before this, they played a Ravens team led by Lamar Jackson. They played the Browns, who I don't think they've they've respected for the past few years. And then they played the Broncos, who are just led by a, a, lot, a bunch of young guys as well, and they, they were playing at home in that game as well. I just think that those three games, even for where they were, they're still a team that I think had a lot of confidence in, in who they were and in, in, in who was coaching them and just, just who they had in the building. And they just kind of got just blown out of the water in, in games that they didn't expect to get um, decimated by. So then I guess they were kind of humbled, I guess, in the past month or so with, with how much that they've gone through and how many guys that they've lost. And then they're going up against a team in, in Los Angeles who I think they had, they obviously knew that they weren't nearly as good at or near, nearly as good as, and the roster just didn't add up to it. They're playing on the road. I think they just kind of buckled down and just stuck to what they were good at in, in that sense. And, you know, you can talk to me all, all the time about, you know, just because you give the running back, you know, 20, 25 carries doesn't mean you're going to have a great day on offense and win the game. You know, typically the guy, the team with the better quarterback ends up winning the game. But when your quarterback is Jeff, is Jeff Driscoll, then you kind of just have to throw that mindset out the window and just give the ball to your playmakers as much as possible. So I just think that the, the, this game is a good indicator of what this team can still be with the roster and the coaching staff that they have now. They can still ma- maintain competitiveness in these games that they're going to be outmatched, but Maybe we'll see this same kind of effort carry over to next week when they play a team in Oakland who isn't nearly as good as the Chargers. Yeah, Oakland had a had a big win this last week against Pittsburgh. Uh, kind of a wacky, wacky week around the NFL. Obviously, the Bengals covering that big spread. Uh, in case you missed that, the Miami uh, the Miami uh, trickery that that got the better of the Patriots. Um, the Chiefs Ravens game. Raiders, Raiders, uh, Steelers, all those games were kind of wacky. But just kind of continuing on this game, there's not a whole lot to cover on it. I mean, I guess if you want to talk about some standout performances, Randy Bullock ended up playing pretty well. Obviously, very, very mellow weather and sub 50 yard field goals. That's his forte, right? <laughs> uh, and and he's he's good from there. John Ross had another touchdown. Uh, I, but two catches, 11 yards, I think it was, or 10 yards, and the touchdown. Um, what, what do you make? I mean, it, we keep trying to say, yeah, there's growth, because now he has six touchdowns on the year, and that's that's respectable. But I think he's got it on 18 catches and, uh, you know, minimal yards. So what, what do you make of him? And is it at this point, is it just kind of take what you can get 
from from him just because he is a young player and what was a wash of a rookie year. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like that Will Fuller stat line from I think a, a, a yeah. last year with Deshaun with Deshaun uh, Watson, but I think Fuller had a few more big explosive plays down the field. But obviously, you're comparing you know Deshaun Watson's arm to Andy Dalton and Jeff Driscoll's arm and and their, their respective schemes and game plans or whatever. Um, like we've talked about Ross and how this is technically still his rookie year and he's still he's still kind of you know going going through the first full 16 game schedule uh, in his own right. Now he's being thrust into more of a bigger opportunity. Now that AJ Green's off the field. I think what, what, what as long as the production is there in the sense of, you know, in, into the flow of the offense that what they're running, as long as Boyd is still, you know, maintaining the full focal point of that offense and Ross is just kind of there to just take the pressure off him a little bit. I think we can be fine with what, what is happening with his production at this point. Obviously, you know, this probably isn't the best offense to fully, you know, take advantage of his full, um, potential and, and talent and abilities and whatever, but like p- production's production, you know, if, if, if his rookie season ends up being 20 something catches for 200 something yards and eight touchdowns and he maintains health throughout that, you know, that, considering all the factors, AJ Green being hurt, Andy Dalton being hurt and Bill Lazor not putting together, you know, the, the type of offensive scheme that I think a lot of us expected to, I guess, I guess considering all that, we'll, we'll end up just accepting it for what it is. And as long as Ross continues to stay healthy and growing as a player, we, we can see an, an even bigger jump in year three like we've seen with Boyd this year. Yeah, and uh, obviously that depends on a lot of different factors. Who's here next year, who is not, um, both at quarterback, coach, offensive coordinator, all that stuff. That's uh, that's going to make a difference. But um, we can talk a little bit more about that as the show goes on. We're going to – and the Chargers discussion on this is it'll kind of be a nice segue into our next segment. But your thoughts, John, on Marvin Lewis's decisions and Bill Lazor's decisions on and there's a there's a bunch of different offshoots of this question, but the going for two, the you know, the fourth downs, and and obviously now you lose 26-21, these things I mean, at the end of the game, they, they miss a two-point conversion um, that was, they were going for to tie the game. They had gone for two, you know, before fourth and goal. Uh, I believe was it uh, was it Alex Redman at the goal line that had the critical false start. And you mentioned Westerman, who had played well in the lineup this week, one of Pro Football Focus's highest-graded Bengals players this week. So. What do you make of the coaching decisions kind of in all of those factors going for two, the fourth down calls, and then obviously Redmond and Bobby Hart continuing to be, be in the lineup. I mean, did you like the call to go for it despite the, the personnel issues? I did. I'll, I'll always accept the aggressive approach, especially when you're five and seven on the season and you're, and you're playing as a heavy underdog. Um, but with the Bengals, you know, it, it's, it's, it's really hard to trust them come up with a good play on two, on on the two-point conversion. They haven't converted once since, I think, 2015 was announced on the broadcast, which four years for a two-point conversion, you, you got to go two yards in the goal line. Like, how, how do how do you not have a set of plays that you know have a high percentage chance of, 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 of working? And obviously, Alex Redmond's penalty issues, that, that, that's been an issue all year, but he's only had, I think, two since the Kansas City game. So, you know, we, we kind of joke around about that, but it, it just kind of is what it is. I'm just – Honestly, curious what was going on with, between Trey Hopkins and Christian Westerman because originally I thought Hopkins got hurt, but he was shown on the sidelines with like his helmet on, and he went back into the game only to come back out for Westerman again. And I think Westerman ended up doubling Hopkins' snaps. 
And it was kind of reminiscent of that situation that Westerman and Redmond were dealing with last year at left guard when Clint Bowling was at left tackle when Cedric, Cedric Aboye was injured last year. And they kind of rotated in and out just, just to see who they had in those two players. But this time it was like they were punishing Hopkins for something. I guess he had like a bad uh, like stretch of plays on one of the opening drives, put in Westerman, and then for some reason took him back out again, even though he was rolling. And, um, you know, Westerman didn't play a perfect game, but he played definitely good enough to be the best offensive lineman out there for the Bengals and showed all the traits of why he should be out there on, on right guard in the first place over Alex Redman. So I, I liked how they ended up playing Westerman. Sure, you know, there's more tape on him to, to showcase why he's a good player, but – at some point, just 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 let him just let him go. Just let him be. Just just release him onto the field. Don't have him worried about getting taken back off or Trey Hopkins, who to his credit has not looked good at the left guard. I just want to see him thrive. And I think that's what all of us want to see. And I think the reason their reasoning for you know putting Westerman keeping Westerman on a leash on the bench, they're they're not good enough to to actually, you know, implement that plan of fear for them. And I think that, you know. At, at, at this point, you just you just gotta leave him out there, you know, because Clint Bowling might be starting at left at left tackle because Cordy Glenn was limited in practice today. I just think that with the way that Alex Redmond's playing and the uncertainty you have on the offensive line, just just play your best players and let the rest fall into place. Yeah, and at this point, you got it. You do have to see what you have going forward um, for next year, whether it's for this staff, another staff, what have you. Um, you do need to see what what these guys have for the future and. Um, Again, it's this weird thing where Westerman has seemed to be in the doghouse of Marvin Lewis in particular and has not been able to climb out of it over the past, what, three years, two years. Um, And uh, when he's in there, there's a noticeable difference. Uh, And I I just, I don't understand it. And there's certain things, coach, some coaches play favorites. That's just how it is. But, and and I guess when you have a look, you know, when it comes to Hopkins and Westerman and Redmond and, and, you know, Bobby Hart, when you've got those low round guys, you feel like you can kind of say, well, he's struggling. We got to get him out of there and try somebody else. But I, I don't know. There's just, there's not a semblance of an identity or a plan there. It seems at times. And um, I don't understand the Christian Westerman situation. I just don't, but uh, maybe that'll be answered at some point for the season's end. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. and I'm Anthony Cazenza, and we are talking about uh, the Cincinnati Bengals uh, and their loss, their loss to the Los Angeles Chargers, 26-21. Um, unfortunate sequence of events for the Bengals. Uh, had a chance to, to do some things and odd calls by the officials, uh, including a, a would-be touchdown by Jeff Driscoll that was called back and some odd calls by the coaching staff, both in roster roster calls and calls on fourth down, uh, two-point conversions, that sort of thing, kind of cost them. But such is the story this year. Talking about coaches, obviously it's in, in vogue to talk about who might replace Marvin Lewis should he be let go of his duties. I mean, I don't I, – can you really call it a firing if you just say you don't uh, – you opt not to <laughs> – Option. I mean, I, I don't know what you would call that. Um, and that, I think that would be the easiest uh, thing for Mike Brown, where he's not firing Marvin Lewis. He's just saying, well, we're not going to keep him. It's just kind of a little, <laughs> little caveat there. Regar- regardless. Okay. 
we've got a, some questions from folks. Um, they were they were on emails. Obviously, we've kind of talked about Mike McCarthy and Hugh Jackson. Um, I don't want to I don't want to beat a dead horse on that one, but just any any kind of lingering thoughts about those two and preference between the two. Me, I would say McCarthy just because of a super you know Lombardi Trophy under his wing and and all of that. But uh, I don't know. Your and any thoughts? I mean, like I said, we've talked about this. Hugh Jackson will probably be talked about for a long time if Marvin Lewis goes. So you all know my thoughts on Hugh Jackson. I'm not going to expand upon that. Um, but the, I've made those pretty clear. With McCarthy, I think with his situation, I, I've always referred to Marvin Lewis as a coach that can take a team from point A to point B. Point B being where the Bengals are now. B is in purgatory. A is in like you know, the, the, the centuries Cleveland Browns. I think McCarthy's kind of in that same boat where he can kind of, you know, t- turn around a broken down franchise, kind of build a solid base. But, and, and, and to his credit, he has taken the Packers, you know, from that, that late Favre era to a Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. But at, at this point in his career, he's kind of just kind of being outphased by some of the new gen- next generation of coaches with more, you know, creative offensive schemes or whatever, and he's got to find a way to kind of evolve evolve at the times. But I, I still think he's kind of in that same boat with Marvin, and I think with where the Bengals are right now, they they don't need another coach like Marvin Lewis, and the same can be said for Hugh Jackson. So with McCarthy, I don't think he's a bad coach, and I think a lot of the criticisms toward him are, you know, kind of more recency biased because he hasn't been getting along with Aaron Rodgers, and he's been limiting Aaron Rodgers for the past couple of years. But regardless, I don't think he's a bad coach. I just don't think he's the right coach for what the Bengals need in their current situation, I guess. Yeah, I I see what you're saying on that. And I think I think while he's had a lot of success in the league and he's had longevity with a certain franchise, and this is gonna sound weird to say, there are some parallels actually between the Packers and the Bengals in oh, terms sure. of how they operate and the conservative nature of those franchises. The success and the story <laughs> of those franchises are quite different, but um, uh, I, I see your point there. And then obviously everybody points to the fact that, you know, he had Aaron Rodgers and a generational talent at, at quarterback. And that's why he has a Super Bowl, And that's why he has been. Uh, and, and I think he had far before that too. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, he, he kind of stumbled into two, into situations that were kind of wow. Uh, so I, I think that's the, that's the knock on him and rightfully so. And everybody's looking for, you know, the next young, the, the young head coach, the young gun here. Um, this one, I thought just kind of along the same lines of the head coaches. And we kind of like joked about it last week, but this, this uh, listener and emailer, I thought brought up a really good point and it was with urban Meyer. And uh, now uh, all indications are that urban Meyer is not going to be coaching next year because he's retiring from Ohio State. He's, I, I think they're going to the Rose Bowl, so they're going to do that. Now, the point itself about Urban Meyer, if you just kind of say, well, what about Urban Meyer? He's in Ohio, he's, you know, he was with Ohio State and blah, blah, blah. He's successful. Okay, yeah, of course. But the point made here was the fact that there are actually now some former players of his that responded well 
to him and his coaching, either at Florida or Ohio State. There's Carlos Dunlap, there's Billy Price, there's Sam Hubbard. There are guys on the roster that could respond to him because of having previous ties to him, knowing his coaching style, knowing what he demands of players, and the fact that there have been a couple of high-profile coaches that have come into the college coaches that have come into the league at times. It hasn't been the greatest record, but that have come in and have had success. And he is one of the more successful coaches in this era. So your thoughts on Urban Meyer and the Bengals based on that specific slant, John? Um, I see your slant and I, no offense to you, I couldn't care less because I don't know why Urban Meyer would join the Cincinnati Bengals when he can just become USC's next head coach in 2020, which is my, which is my prediction of what he's going to do. I think he's going to take a year off. He's going to go to another storied college program probably screw up and then, you know, after having a win percentage of about 800, maybe get into another scandal, repeat the cycle in another 10 years. I don't want to be a part of the Urban Meyer cycle. I don't think he's a, I don't think he's a good person. I know we have a lot of Ohio State fans who, who are also Bengals fans watch the show. I don't care if you guys hate me. I don't like Urban Meyer. I don't think he's a good person. I don't want him as the coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. Get him away. All right. Uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, there are – Sometimes where there is smoke, there's fire and a lot of that stuff. And by the way, Todd, uh, was it was Todd Edwards who sent that email. So thanks, Todd. And Todd, you got to send him some condolences because he lives in Steelers country, he says. He lives in, uh, in Pennsylvania, in the heart of Steelers country. So uh, sorry for you, Todd. Uh, believe it or not, there's quite a bit of that out here in Southern California as well. So uh, you, it's hard to escape. It's hard to escape that, that, that plague. Uh, but... Yeah, there are ties there because you've seen, I think, um, Marvin has come and has spoken to Urban Meyer's team, I think, at times. They've run camps together, that sort of thing. So there's some ties there. I just – I don't know. I don't I don't really see – there would be – to me, there would be worse hires. But to me, I, I'm not as quite as extreme as you are on it. But I do see a lot of your points where he had some issues at, at Florida and some bad guys on that team. Uh, there's been some issues already at Ohio State. And, of course, shortly after those things kind of come to light, he decides he's not feeling too great and wants to get out of football and, and retire. So, um, But a lot of those guys in college, unfortunately, have some of that stuff. Pete Carroll, who I personally like a lot as a coach, you know, he had Reggie Bush and others on his team that apparently did some things that were in regulation. So, um, you know, it, it it follows a lot of coaches, but I do understand the hesitation there, John. Thanks for the questions there on uh, that segment. So, uh, you know, like I said, I think everybody's kind of pretty eh on Hugh. And I think uh, aside from the Columbus faithful, a lot of people are kind of meh on Urban Meyer. Um, <laughs> and I think, again, uh, most people are meh on Mike McCarthy. I think a lot of people think Mike McCarthy is going to be maybe Cleveland's next head coach, which would be interesting. But, uh, you know, it, uh, the Bengals don't have an Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre on their on their roster, which is what he dealt with for right. almost as Mar Marvin Lewis has been on the roster, uh, been with the Bengals. So, um you know, I, it would be interesting to see him take over this team and what he would be able to do. I don't know. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We're happy to have you with us. We're talking some Bengals and what's ahead 
for this team, both in the remainder of this year and in the coming offseason, probably a huge offseason in terms of change. Don't book us on that, but uh, it could happen. We'll see. You can get this show on Art19, on Stitcher, Google Play, on iTunes. It's at CincyJungle.com as well. So get it how you can. We're on YouTube. So we, we're happy to have you join us live every week as we record on YouTube. We're going to try and take some more questions towards the end of the show. You can call or text us 949-542-6241. 949-542-6241. We've already got a couple more things queued up before we get out of here. But uh, if you want to get in touch with us, there you can. Or you can leave your questions in the live YouTube chat or your live comment thread at sincerebible.com. But uh, thanks for your support of this program. And for listening it, downloading it, how you can. Uh, by the way, speaking of support, uh, our listener Robert, he he uh, he was the one we kicked off last week's episode with with that with that voicemail he left us. He left us another voicemail. And it was it was a good one. And uh, by the way, both he and Todd Todd talked a lot about how uh, we are how they, he thinks you know he loves the show and how you know he's a he's an avid listener of the show and our writing which is very flattering and Robert is as well and Robert left us another great voicemail uh, it was a longer one so we can't really play it but it did bring up one point that I thought was very interesting. And I and that point is, um, there's there's been a lot of talk really in these latter years of Marvin Lewis potentially not being the Bengals head coach, not being re-signed. There's been a lot of talk of well, what if Marvin Lewis is moved up to a front office position, and gets you know kind of grabs the reins of power a bit there, mm-hmm. and a new coach is, is hired from there. Um, what are the effects on the team? I've got my thoughts. What are the effects on the team? What if he has a hand in hiring the next coach? Um, so there's pros and cons to that, and I'll let you kick that off, John. Yeah, I just think that at a certain point, you know, there, there has to be a, a tipping point with the organization as to do we want to grow further from where we are right now? I think a lot of that has to do with just moving on completely from Marvin Lewis. I don't know if Lewis would be the would be the guy to a, to become the first GM under Mike Brown. He might be. I don't like because people talk about moving Marvin Lewis up to the front office. I'm thinking like, what is he going to do? Is he, is he going to be like like a like a consultant? Is he going to be just like a secretary? Like, what exactly would would his role be in a management position that's not a, a coach involved with football operations? I just don't. It's a very ambiguous plan in general, but my whole mindset, my whole my whole thought process on the whole thing, my whole gut is just telling me that the 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 sooner that they just get him away from the organization, not like in a not like in a bad way, but like they have to respect what he's done. But at a certain point, like you just got to just move on and from just just get him out of like the planning, the the, the roster construction. Just, just there's got to be a there's got to be a tipping point. There's got to be a point where they just. Uh, just you know, 
just, 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 just part ways. I'm having trouble explaining it because you know, like, I don't think, no, I, I don't think he would be that bad as, as, as you know, a member of the front office and some type of football operations management. But I, I just, I just don't see, I just don't see the purpose of it from from where they are now because he's been with this for 16 years and he hasn't made any progress beyond where he was in 2005. So at a certain point, I just don't understand. I, I just don't get it. And his quote unquote wouldn't be that bad. Is that good? Exactly. That's, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with it. And, and we, we talked about, uh, I think on this, I think it was last week, maybe the week before we talked about how some of these draft classes have currently shaped have have ended up shaping this roster now 2016 and 2017 those drafts seem to be pretty good you know you got your tyler boyd your joe mixon and and others william jackson those guys out of those draft classes um but you look at 14 and you look at 15 that absolutely destroyed this team and a lot of people's reasoning for moving marvin up to the front office or up in a executive position is the fact that they felt that he could quote unquote build a roster build through the draft and do all that aside from that he has yet in 16 years to fully figure out the linebacker position whether it's an outside rangy guy whether it's you know the tweener pass rusher guy whether it's the stout middle linebacker guy that he's tried over the years he has yet to figure that out. They had a flash in the pan season from Odell Thurman, a little bit of the same from Vontez perfect with a tiny bit more longevity and consistency. And that's not really saying much. Um, and there's really at times been a lack of identity of this team. So my, my thing is, is I, yeah, he's done some, some pretty good things as a head coach. Yeah. He's won division titles. Yeah. He's brought him back to respectability, but I don't know that that, means that he is going to be this executive of the year. Now they did the Tom Coughlin did this. Uh, he, went, he went back after winning a couple Super Bowls with the Giants. He went back, uh, I believe it was to Jacksonville where he was the coach and trying, tried to do some things and it worked for a season, but they have totally tailspun this year. Uh, they, gave, they gave Blake Bortles a, a crap ton of money. Now they're stuck. Yeah. Yeah. So I, and here's, here's the other thing. You move them up there. You are probably continued to be in this. I'm I'm not saying a, a, a you know really bad or really good, but for those who are in the anti Andy camp, you're probably going to be married to Andy Dalton for more more time, and you are you know there's probably going to be some players on this roster that some people want to see go that will be kept if Marvin Lewis is on is is in, on the front office and like i said he will probably as a gm or something like that would have a hand in hiring the next coach and it would probably be someone he knows or someone that operates like him or both and we mentioned his name earlier there's a guy like that in the building already so uh that's to me i like you, John, it's like thanks, thanks for what you've done, but no thanks. Like let yeah. let's let. I mean, either you kind of continue with Marvin, or you go in a completely different direction. Don't don't half-ass it, right? Yeah, and I don't, I don't think we can sugarcoat this. I think the most likely thing that's going to happen if Marvin Lewis is promoted GM is that they promote Hugh Jackson head coach. I because right. that's what that's what Bucky that's what Bucky Brooks insinuated on the NFL Network off the air, and it was caught on Twitter. 
And if, if he's if he sounds pretty confident in that, I think he's got a pretty good source of the, that's, that's telling him that's probably going to happen. And we can just piece that together just as fans with no connections or sources at all. I think if if he's going to remain in the organization, there's going to be some type of uh, of plan of secession that's not going to take any movements from the outside of the organization. They already have it in in motion, and I think that's the biggest that's the biggest restraint on on us wanting this to happen. Even though it wouldn't be the worst situation in the world, they can definitely do a lot better. Yeah, yeah, and I, uh, I mean, I, I think people are like, I, I think in some respects, people are kind of like, well, we don't even have a GM really outside of the owner, so it might as well be a guy that he trusts that's a different guy that actually has done some positives for the team. But again, that's not that's not good enough, right? I mean, mm-hmm. to me, I, I don't know. I just I don't think uh, I don't think that's good enough. Um, this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We've been talking about a lot of things tonight, uh, including Marvin Lewis potentially moving up to the front office and what that would entail and look like for the Bengals, some head coaching options. And we've got more on tap, including a phone call we're going to get to in just a second. But uh, you can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, on Art19. It's on YouTube, as well as our, our live shows are broadcast on YouTube. So join us every every episode if you can. And uh, all of our stuff's on cincyjungle.com. So uh, get it where you can. We appreciate the support. As I mentioned, we've got a, a caller on the line, and it is good friend Terrell. Uh, Terrell, how are you, sir? Sorry to keep you waiting. I don't I don't think a lot of people disagree with you, but go go on. That's a good question. There's 
there's there's there's two two points you made that uh, we're gonna address and we're gonna take take your call off the air. Thanks, Terrell. Appreciate you tuning in and calling in as usual, buddy. Um, it's it's really funny. The first thing I want to I want to just touch on, and we've touched on it a, a, for a while, is the the high picks, the first round picks that have not panned out. Um, you know, you got dark as dark as Denard, uh, who's been okay. Uh, you know, you've got William Jackson, you've got Cedric Abwehi, who's been a total bust. You've got, uh, you know, it, the, the list kind of goes on and on. Billy Price has had an up and up and down year. So that's, I, and that's an interesting point, but I think his point is for me in that first round, especially this year, I would like to see the team go get the guy they want, not let guys fall to them. And I think that's what they've done is they've done the, hey, best available guy, regardless of position. And and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I want to see a guy, a high-impact guy, that, and if it costs you picks, go move up and get him. Because if you think he's going to start for your team for five-plus years and be a good player, go get him. And I think that's a great um, entry point into their overall draft philosophy. Whereas a lot of people, a lot of people will say that an average NFL draft class maybe has fifteen to twenty, like not not even blue chip, just like guys worth of a first round pick. And then after that, there's like like three dozen like guys who would fit like a second round pick, and some of those guys get drafted in the first round. And a lot of the Bengals first round picks in recent years have been guys picked in the, in the twenties or whatnot. So some teams would consider them, you know, borderline first-round players or, what, or whatnot. So the Bengals, when they sit back and let guys fall to them, they, they miss out on those blue-chip prospects, those impact players who can jump in in year one. Now, obviously, a guy like William Jackson kind of is an exception to the rule where he's been exceptional from day one. He's also an older rookie or an older second-year player. That's kind of past the point. But to your point, like, aggressively going up and getting – one of those very best 10 to 15 prospects is definitely something that would be refreshing to see because they've had more success drafting in the second, third, and even fourth round because a lot of those players, they're all, they're all like like we said, they're all kind of in the same bowl of talent where they're just a tier below like that top 15 you know, threshold that you know players, yeah. players just don't leave the, the, the first half of the first round. When they do, they end up being like Derwin James where you know, 1,600 teams are just – you know, f- face palming about how how do we let that guy like drop drop past all of us? So yeah, the the, the willingness to forfeit like a, a meaningless fourth or sixth round pick, or e- even like a, like a like a future third round pick or, or a compensatory pick for letting the free agent go, forfeiting those assets to get a true surefire asset at a position of need, a guy who checks all the boxes, like a great athlete, produces well against the great strength of schedule in a great program. Getting a guy like that can make such an impact difference, and it could be at any position. Like the Colts, for example, like they drafted Quinn Nelson six overall at a guard at, at the guard spot. Their offensive line has never looked better with the addition of him because he brings that mentality. Like uh, a guy like Roquan Smith you know, has has completely fit into that Vic Vangio Bears defense and has given them a piece that has elevated their defense going forward. It, it sometimes it all all it takes is just one guy, and you don't have to have a draft class filled with 10, 11 guys and hoping. Then maybe five or six of them hit. If you have one guy in the top in the top half of that first round who just hits and makes an impact quickly, it can just like change the whole culture of your of your team and of a, a struggling defense or an offense that needs a surge. So I fully agree with that point for sure. 
Yeah, and unfortunately, just too many times they they sit and they wait and they don't move or they move back. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, collecting picks is great, but we've seen some of these picks. They get these mid late round picks, guys that just don't play or guys that just are special teams guys, and that's it. And then your first round pick is sometimes good, sometimes awful, sometimes somewhere in between. I, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of, to me, it's just kind of like, what are you hoarding these picks for if you're not getting – you're getting quantity over quality a lot of times. And right. I, I think, unfortunately, they've now with, – with three losing seasons on the horizon, three straight losing seasons on the horizon, you got to tweak that a little bit. Uh, he brought up the, the Dalton being fourth best quarterback in the, in the division. I don't agree. I still think Baltimore's quarterbacks are – Worse than Dalton, um, I I guess right now most people, because it's a sexy thing to say is, you know, oh, Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield, he's he's the guy and, and you know, he's the number one overall pick and all that. I, I have never been a Baker guy. Um, I guess you can say right now he's playing better than Dalton because Dalton isn't playing, but uh, <laughs> I don't think he's the worst quarterback in the division at, at certain points he was playing almost close to the best quarterback in the division but um i don't know your thoughts on that real quick before we move on i i will i will say that right now becky mayfield is basically at the same point in my opinion as andy Dolan as a player and obviously Dolan will progressively get a little bit worse and Baker yeah. mayfield i think is on the clear uprise um i was a, i was a proponent of well, when the Bengals were picking 12th at the time and you know before the draft season fully took swing before Baker Mayfield got that momentum as being the first overall pick. I was, I was a fan of potentially bringing him in as, as that first round pick, because I think he's that good. And now he's thriving under Freddie kitchens under, you know, away from the huge Jackson influence. And now he's kind of living up to his potential. So I would say that, yes, at, at this point going forward, he is the better quarterback going forward than Andy Dalton. I'm a, I'm a Lamar Jackson stand. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan of his to a fault. Um, I think that the offense that they're running and the scheme that they're deploying with him at the lead is, is very successful and is not only successful, but I think sustainable as well until defenses figure out a way to, 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 to flush it out. But he's kind of in that – I think he's just kind of in that same boat because maybe he's not as accurate as Dalton, but I just think that there's there's a certain level of natural raw talent that's more noticeable with Lamar Jackson and, and, the, and the impact that he can make over a guy like Andy Dalton because – like we talked about it so many times, Andy Dalton's basically the borderline replacement level quarterback who you can get to produce at an above average level. But if not everything clicks, then you have below average production, and th- th- therefore just 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 a mediocre, you know, middling team. With Lamar Jackson, you know, we haven't seen as much as Baker Mayfield to this point in, in the season. But you know, the, the the things that people loved about Lamar, they're showing the things that people hate about Lamar are showing in kind of an equal way, and. I, I just think that he's not quite at, at the level that Mayfield is right now, but I think he's kind of reaching on that path. But to answer Terrell's question, I I, I want to say he's better than Dalton, but I just can't fully say it with, like, with, a, with a full head of confidence that he is. So I, 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 I will for now keep him below Dalton. But going forward for the future, the Bengals quarterback situation, definitely fourth in that, in that list for sure. That's yeah. That's a, that, that's a good point because that's a different question. The quarterback situation and the quarterback. Um, that that's actually kind of two different 
things, right. uh, two different topics, but obviously they're very much related. And, uh, you know, it's getting to the point now, especially with, we talked about this on the show, with the organizational shortcomings that the Bengals consistently show in the most important position in the game, they need to probably start looking for a transcendent talent. And I don't think there's one in the 2019 draft at, at quarterback. So um, I, I don't, <laughs> uh, you know, here we are, yeah. here we are. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what they do going forward. Big, big year coming up. Uh, at that position as well as head coach for the for the Bengals. Good good uh, phone call. Good hearing from Terrell. Thanks for for his call. And if you want to call or text in, uh, we're going to try and take some more. 949-542-6241. You can get in touch with us or leave your questions or comments in the live YouTube chat or Cincy Jungle in the comment thread there. We're going to try to get to those. We've got a few more things to get to, though. We did get... And I, this was another topic I grabbed from uh, yet another awesome listener of ours, Jason Dickerson. And unfortunately, his his email was was lengthy, so I couldn't, I can't, I can't read all of it, uh, and I, I can't read much of it. Unfortunately, uh, first, <laughs> for, for, <laughs> first of all, Jason, uh, th- thanks for the kind words about. And I've said it a couple times on this program. Uh, the Situ- the situation and scholarship fund I've set up for my sister. He was uh, he talked about that. So appreciate you you, you being supportive of that and and uh, your kind words there, Jason. He kind of talked about you know the state of the team, and then he kind of also talked about basically does this you know if we need to rebuild the team. This is kind of some things that I wonder wondered about, or if it's a, a retool. And I, I kind of want to take that back take a more macro approach and say like, you know, is, is 2019 a retool or a rebuild year? And to me, retool is, you know, a lot of times you just bring in the right coach because the talent's there, but it's not being developed or being mined properly. Um, and, you know, a team, it's kind of what Marvin Lewis did from 02 to 03. Um, and granted, they made some moves and did some things in the draft that year. But, I mean, the quarterback was John Kitna, and they went from two wins to eight wins and almost nine in the playoffs. So that, to me, is, you know, is a retool or is it a complete rebuild um, where you got to get yourself a new quarterback, you got to get yourself a new head coach, you got to clean house of a lot of veterans that are taking up salary cap space, and, uh, you know, this team is still going to be, you know, one if not two years away from being competitive so your stance on that john retool or rebuild in 2019 see in my mind i'm thinking of like a um what's the word you call it like like a hybrid of the two where it's like a combination or of, of both aspects but as i'm thinking about how i would do this you know not bring back like almost all the free agents in their free agency class cut losses on some notable contracts on some bad players and overall, the coaching staff, obviously, all of that sounds like a, just a rebuild. And I think, at a, like, like if you have an old if you have an old car, and you know every like you know five or six months, there's like a there's like a main problem with it, and you keep having to take it into the shop, and end up you know end up spending more on repairs than eventually what it's worth at the point. At what point do you just say just 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 cut the losses, just sell just sell it, just throw it in the junkyard, and just get something new? Like like how many times? 
does this team have to reword what they mean by retool instead of just going all in and actually making changes that can actually matter? And obviously this is wishful thinking because this is the Cincinnati Bengals. They're the most conservative team in the history of the NFL. But, you know, I, I, I think they, I think that they want to have that hybrid between a rebuild and a retool because they know that they can't be complacent at a certain level, but they don't have the courage to take the step of going for new leadership and potentially going back to where they were. And that, you know, that fear of progress has halted them of actually obtaining progress for almost two decades now. So it, it, it like, I'm so ingrained in like their train of thought that I'm thinking of like a hybrid between the two, but at some point you got to pick a side and the side that has more, that makes the most sense in their current situation is a rebuild. Now, unfortunately, like we talked about the, the quarterbacks in this draft class, besides maybe Dwayne Haskins, they're not very promising. And without that new quarterback leading the way, it's kind of hard to, you know, fully rebuild, but bringing in a new coaching staff, you know, with new guys, new, new blood, liquidating you know bad assets on the roster right now just not investing a lot of money in the, in you know the current town that's going to free agency that's kind of where i'm at and that kind of leans towards more of a rebuild and a retool i guess yeah and i i love this answer from zachary stemple in the live youtube chat retool the roster and rebuild the coaching staff yeah uh, i i love that answer and that's uh that's a really good point i i it's just put very very well my worry is this though you know i mean you look at the roster and yeah you've got potential hall of fame players and aj green and geno atkins on the roster you have a veteran quarterback who has seen a moderate level of success and has led this team to division titles in andy dalton um you've got at least over the past couple of years because of losing seasons you've got a you know, a reasonable amount of higher picks than you had in that stretch of playoff seasons, guys that you were picked higher in the draft. My my issue is this, and this is what happens when there's a coaching overhaul. The guys that are brought in, and, and Terrell said this about Jesse Bates, and he's a guy that always pops into my mind when I, when I talk about what I'm about to say. The guys that have been brought in that – were quote unquote Terrell Austin guys, guys that can create turnovers, guys that uh, I'm talking about defense, obviously. Uh, those kind of guys, guys that were brought in um, even under Paul Gunther, who is gone, guys that were brought in when Ken Zampezi was the offensive coordinator. A new coach and his staff is obviously going to have a different tweak of philosophy and what they want to do approach roster construction than what's currently here um and i saw austin tran in the uh youtube chat earlier said you know who's the candidate to be a defensive coordinator i you know it's going to depend on who might be fired and who might be you know terrell austin was on a lot of people's radars last year and uh he ended up being the Bengals defensive coordinator, but my, my point is that we might like a lot of these guys on the roster right now, like a Jesse Bates, but what, what happens if there's a guy, does the coaching hire change the roster or does the roster kind of dictate a coaching hire? Right. I mean, it, you, you've kind of almost got to be like, well, 
we got to get a new coach and we got to get a new approach and all that, but we do need a coach that can come in here and work with at least some of what we have and still get the production of, of what we have here. So that to me is not an enviable position for ownership, the front office, as they potentially search for a new head coach or different coaching options. But uh, I, I think, I think the rebuild goes beyond the roster. I don't, I, I think there's some things on the roster that obviously need to be tinkered with. I think you brought uh, up some good points about, some some veteran contracts and things like that, John. But I, I to me, it's just, and it's always going to be until it gets changed, and I don't think it's going to, at least not soon, but the organizational practices, right? I mean, I look at still, this team is a team that has a absurd, uh, an absurd amount of injuries. And that to me is, okay, so what's going on there with the medical staff, the training staff, and all of that? Or if that's not the issue, are you not properly vetting the players that you're drafting and bringing in? Or are you simply just an incredibly unlucky team? (laughs) Uh, Because, I mean, I think going into this this Sunday's game on offense and defense, 22 starters, I think they had seven of them that that were either done for the year or not playing this week. So that that. It's not a total excuse for the one in you know one in six collapse here or whatever or one in one in seven collapse that we've witnessed, but that has to be addressed. And obviously, your approach with free agency, which we talked about, we talked about a minute ago about going up and getting the guys you want in the early rounds of the draft. That to me is what you need to rebuild. Um, and I think the rest will come from that: the better roster, potentially less injuries, uh, and more success. That's that's what needs to take place to me. I don't know if you want to piggyback on that at all, but you're welcome to. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll just I'll just throw in this. Like like we talked about, like a head coach like, just last week, like a new head coach. If he were to replace Marvin from outside the organization, we you know said with resounding confidence that he wouldn't be able to have or he wouldn't come in with with the amount of power that Marvin Lewis has right now because Marvin Lewis basically has roster control essentially, but. If if someone other than Marvin came in, I, I really would doubt that he would have as much roster control as Marvin Lewis has now. And I think you would just kind of have to work mostly for what the roster, what it is right now, and just kind of build off of what is what is currently there. And obviously, he would work with Duke and and Mike, and in terms of you know what 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 guys would see and fit in his vision or what or whatever. But for the most part, when you're looking at you know certain position groups that are very lax in talent and can fall under quote unquote Marvin's guys or Terrell Austin's guys, you know, the whole linebacker group besides like Nick Vigil can go at this point, I guess Malik Jefferson offensive line is going to see a complete up, up, up haul because a lot of those guys are free agents. And then you just look at the rest of the roster and you see that there's not a lot of depth here in the first place where if I were to get rid of a guy who's talented, but doesn't exactly fit my scheme, I'm I'm just going to be, you know, SOL if, if I just get rid of him. So I feel like, they're just in the. They're just not in that traditional position where a, a coach would liquidate some other talents because he doesn't see they don't fit his vision. Because if, if they were to get rid of like a handful of talented guys at certain positions, the whole position group in itself would just fall flat in space. And I don't think that a new coach, I guess, would come in and be able to have the authority and the power to basically pick pick guys out of the roster and implement his new guys. Because I think that would take 
a little bit more time. And like we talked about trust and establishing, you know, off of success in, in the early part of his tenure, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, Michael Myers in the, in the live YouTube chat said, uh, you know, something to the effect that the Bengals could have somewhere about 59 million in, in cap space as it stands next year. Um, so it's 5.9 million then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you include that magical rookie, it, rookie pool and in season windfall and all of that stuff, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> let's, let's let's move on before uh, I start throwing things. Um, believe it or not, the Bengals have another game this week. <laughs> uh, and it is a doozy. They play the Raiders, who uh, have been struggling quite a bit in their first year under John Gruden. I think the Raiders, Raiders Nation thought that they had the return of their savior, and uh, it has been quite the opposite both because of trading away marquee players that they had on the roster and not getting enough out of their quarterback and all kinds of different problems have plagued the Raiders. They traveled to Cincinnati in a game that Cincinnati should win. Here, here we go, though, John, because there's a big conundrum. Theoretically, if the Steelers lose out and if, the Ravens, uh, I think if they either win, win only one more game or maybe lose out. Uh, basically, there there are scenarios, as weird as it may be, that if the Bengals win out and get a lot of help, they could theoretically win the division that they made. Um, there's probably, I don't, know, I don't know the percentage chance of that happening. It's very low. But at this point, with what you saw last week and the effort level we talked about. And just side note, it's a real shame the Bengals ended up stumbling after this 4-1 start, knowing what we know now mm-hmm. and getting injured because this division is as winnable as it's been in a really long time. Um, uh, and we kind of thought that this, it was going to be a little bit of a down year, maybe from some of these teams, but good Lord. Uh, not not a very competitive year division, so really stinks at the Bengals in this mid mid to late part of the year. But I mean, I guess your thoughts. I think most people would say just tank it and get a high draft pick, lose out or whatever. Um, or do you do you want to do you want to see him kind of try and see? I mean, you don't want to say give up, obviously, right? No, you don't want to. No. I mean. Uh, even if you win the division at eight and eight, uh, I don't know, man. Yeah, I'll I'll say um because I'm compelled to stand by my stance because I wrote about how we should continue to want to see the Bengals win because they don't make decisions predicated off wins and losses. Or in that sense, you know, might as well just have some fun before the season ends because when it all comes down to it, I don't think their draft position matters in terms of what kind of talent they get in the first round. And again, I don't think they hire or they fire let Marvin Lewis go depending on what the record is at the end of the season. With that said, I have no freaking interest at all to seeing an 8-8 Bengals team in the playoffs as the fourth seed, taking on, I think, the Chargers again as the five seed, playing even at home. It'll just be uh, it'll just be like round two of that 2013 playoff game. I just have just zero interest in seeing that at all in the playoffs. This team, like, I, I, I want them to try, and if they win this game against the Raiders or win the game against the Browns, I'll have some fun with it, but 
not to the extent where they somehow stumble into the playoffs because I, I think we should all just just want to save our eyeballs from that eventual disaster, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, the tank thing, you're kind of like, yeah, you know, higher pick. That way they can, you know, get a guy. I, I, I mean, given what they've done in the draft and what they haven't done in the draft, you, I mean, you never know what they would do with a high pick. Um, I guess there are scenarios out there where they could potentially get in the top five, I think I've, I've read, if they end up losing. I I, I don't know. Um, I just feel that this the, the team in itself had a chance to prove that they were something different than they were, and I think that started in like the Kansas City game, and the Pittsburgh game, and once they failed like those tests, it was like, all right, I don't have to care about this team like doing anything this year. So like, if they somehow make it to the playoffs, I already know what's going to happen. And now that they're out, AJ Green, Andy Dalton, like, do, 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 does anyone else, does any of us really want to see that? I guess is my whole thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I think at this point now, I saw someone in the in the YouTube chat talk about it was Drewski twenty twelve talk about Westerman. I mean, at this point, I think in the season, and if it results in wins, it results in wins. But at this point, you got to start seeing what you have in Malik Jefferson. You right. got to start seeing what you have in Christian Westerman. You got to start seeing what you have in and potentially another tackle besides Bobby Hart because God knows he's not the answer. Uh, sorry, Bobby, if you're listening, you're not the answer. Um, and, uh, you know, I just – I think it's time for that sort of thing. Um, time to uh, – Jordan Willis, you got to get him more snaps, and, and if, he, if he falls on his face, then <laughs> there, there you go with that. Uh, I, I think, you know, that's that's what happens this time of year. That's what the Bengals did at the end of last year, resulted in two signature wins that – I guess signature is an overblown statement, but two <laughs> two, two wins that <laughs> job. So I mean, I think at this point, if it if it results in wins, it results in wins. You don't want to see the team quit, but you got to start seeing what you have. Some of these guys that have been mid round picks, some of these guys that you were excited about that that joined the Bengals and just either have not had playing time, have been injured, or what have you. I think that's what you got to be excited about. And when you play a team that is struggling like the Raiders, that's where you can kind of maybe see some good things out of these players and start to get excited and say, you know what, maybe we should just play these guys a little earlier in the year. Yeah. No, I agree. For sure. I, I, you know, we talked about the draft. I, I, Malik Jefferson is just another one of those guys that I just, I don't, I don't understand. I mean, even if he's raw and, uh, has some mental lapses or whatever in, in practice, or you know, you just don't trust him at this point. Uh, what, what are you? What are you really losing? I mean, I, I putting him out there at this point. You, it's kind of like you find out. Well, our third round, our third round pick shows enough potential to to be able to play, or he is a waste of a third round pick. I mean, like, are, are we really diminishing the idea that if Malik Jefferson takes over for Hardy Nickerson, that Marvin's not going to get a call from Hardy Nickerson Senior? Are we really dismissing that that potential <laughs> idea? Like, because I, I, honestly, it could it could be a real thing. Like, th- th- there are some concepts, there are some ideas and thoughts that us Bengals fans who are so tortured by this constant mediocrity that we come up with, and we're like, nah, that can't actually be a thing. And it turns out it actually is the thing. So I, I'm not dismissing anything. With Marvin Lewis and the way that he runs the Bengals and the crazy, to yeah, I just I won't put anything past him. 
Well, Hardy Nickerson is a millennial and millennials are known to have helicopter parents sometimes. So, uh, you know, the, the mad hovering parents. So, uh, we'll see. I don't know. You know, he's tight with it. Marvin's tight with, with the pops. So, um, that, that always interests me. Uh, you know, the, the, who it's, it's who, you know, not, not what you know, or what, what you can do. Um, and that's, that's unfortunately kind of an example we're seeing there, but that's, it's, it's unfortunate that it, in, in, we referenced the games last year against the Lions and the Ravens. Their hand was forced in terms of letting go of their stubbornness, right. and Marvin, whatnot. And and it's kind of getting to that point now. So you kind of want to see some of these guys out there. Um, uh, do you, do you give Cedric Abwehi another chance just to 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 see if there's anything there? Um, I, I don't know, you know, I mean, it, 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 and, and I think it also depends on what, if Marvin is getting the vibe that he's either going to be let go, or if it's his decision on whether he wants to stay or go, whatever that, that situation is going to be, I think that plays into this whole thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, this, this, this might be a game finally that we see the Bengals win for the first time in two months, two plus months. So, um, and I think they do based on what we saw last week. And it's not really something to hang your hat on because the Raiders are really struggling. But uh, are you are you calling a win here, John, for the first time in God since the Buccaneers? <laughs> um, sure. Why not? Like I, I mean, they're not playing on the Raiders' field where you know Randy Bullock will fall on his on his on his butt like, any, like Boswell did. Because if he does that, you know, you, 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 you could have already seen like the scenario. Like Ben comes back on the field after, you know, going through that outdated whatever injury process. And, you know, oh, he's hurt. No, he's not. He, he's fine. He's just going to lead the Steelers down for an overtime victory. All of a sudden, whoop, this Boswell yeah. falls down like a like a dumbass. But, um, yeah, I like the Raiders are bad. They're, they're trash. And I think the Bengals – you know, for for as much as they would want to say that they don't believe in moral victories, I do think they feel a little bit better about themselves. And I think last home game of the year, they won last year's home finale against the Lions. And I, I just think that the slightly better team kind of wins this game, even though I don't think that the difference between the Bengals and the Raiders is as big as maybe some Bengals fans might might, might see it. Because I think that the Raiders still have some young talent on that team, and obviously. The narratives of them letting Cleo Mack and Mari Cooper getting traded off to now the division leading teams is obviously bad, but you know, Derek Carr is still a better quarterback than Jeff Driscoll. And I think there's still some talent on both the offensive and defensive line of the Raiders team. So I think it'll be a close game, but I think, I think that the Bengals pull enough energy out of this to win a close one. Yeah. I just, I don't want to see the, I mean, I, not that we would be, I, I don't know, not that it would necessarily be admitted, but I would hate to see ownership point to the Raiders as an example as to why, quote unquote, change is bad. Coaching change is bad and, oh, yeah. and, and organizational change can be bad. Um, I, I just, you know, and, and there have been examples that have been pointed to by ownership before um, for various reasons as to why things aren't being done a certain way. And, um, I would just hate to see now that they have the Raiders front and center <laughs> uh, on their home field. I'd hate to see him, you know, point to that as to maybe a reason why 
they don't want to make a lot of changes this offseason, but we'll see. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. You can get it on Art19. We're also on YouTube, and you can get all of our material on CincyJungle.com. We're going to get out of here. We thank you for your support. We thank you for all of the downloads and all of the kind words in the emails and voicemails that we received over the past week. Uh, we appreciate that you like CincyJungle.com. You like this program. And uh, keep getting in touch with us. We, we want to try and get as many listener questions on the air, whether it's call, text, email, tweets, whatever. We want to try and get as many on the air and talk about them as possible because you guys drive the show. We just, uh, we just try and steer it i guess or i i don't know how you'd say it but listeners drive the show and um we want to keep it that way any final thoughts before we get out of here john i would i would almost say that the listeners are like the gas like the, like they provide like go. the gas and then we're just like the idiots that just put like a brick down on the gas pedal and just somehow have barely two hands on the wheel but i love the, I, I love this kind of show i love when i love when our listeners like provide us the content to talk about because like, at least it's content that you know, we know that people want to hear because they're literally the ones feeding us. So definitely send us more questions now that, you know, we're kind of talk like basically every show is almost the same thing if the Bengals keep losing. So definitely try to keep us fresh with topics and new stuff. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll try to salvage the, the, the show as the Bengals try to salvage their season. Well, you, yes. And I, I agree with you on that. And, uh, we we don't hit the bit the brakes, buddy. We don't no. hit just it's, it's <laughs> um, no, but yeah, I, I agree with you on that one. And you've been a great asset to this to this show, John. And um, hopefully, we can get Scott back at least sporadically to get his valuable insights as well. Um, we we miss him and get well soon. There, Scott. You said you told me you were sick, so uh, hopefully, you're having some chicken noodle soup and, and resting up or something. Uh, just a real quick final thought. I, I told John this before we took the air, but old CincyJungle.com staff member, Daddy O McDuck, uh, he now has, well, he's, he's done a podcast for a while. He's, I think he does it on his own or it's through the Bengals wire. Or I, I don't know exactly how he does it now, but uh, you are on that program as well. Right, John? Yeah, he, I don't think he does Bengals War anymore, but he's, we, we still do a YouTube show called uh, D and H Sports on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was able to meet him at the Chargers game in person. Um, we, we connected, and he actually lives in the L.A. area. So um, it was great to meet him. Awesome guy. Check out their show. Obviously, John does the show there with him as well. Brings It brings his knowledge there. So check out their show. Support Daddy O. Support uh john and uh daddy oh good to meet you buddy uh and and good to meet some other Bengals fans out there that surprisingly recognized me uh from this show and and cincyjungle.com it was pretty cool to to come across that and, and meet a lot of Bengals fans that traveled a long way so uh had some fun and um as i told you john before the before the show, some some Bengals players and coaches were quite generous to my younger nephew, who uh, ended up running into quite a few of them at a at a hotel the evening before, and they were generous with autographs and all kinds of stuff. Clayton Fedgelum, Joe Mixon, Marvin Lewis, Michael Johnson, all those guys were quite approachable and, and very cool to my nephew. So that was good to see. We criticize these guys. We 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 talk about oh they should you know some of these guys shouldn't be on the team and all that kind of stuff, but. Uh, 
they're human beings. They're all, they, they are good people. Um, so we got to kind of keep that in mind as we obviously <laughs> criticize and rake some of these guys over the coals. But uh, it is what it is. Thanks for tuning in live. Thanks for downloading the show. Thanks to you, John, for bringing your valuable insight as always. We'll see you next episode. This has been the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast brought to you by SB Nation and Jungle.com. See you next time. I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.